request or an endowment fund for the people of Israel through the United Israel Appeal. For more information, contact UIA on 9272-5533. Listen to the Israel Connection on JA Community Radio in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday from 4 till 5 p.m., repeated Fridays from 1 to 2 p.m. My name is David Schulberg, and for the past seven years, I have been bringing you a probing weekly radio program that provides analysis and insight with important interviews and discussion about Israel. Welcome and a big hello to J-Air listeners in Melbourne. We are live from London. Every Sunday morning with the London Beat. Warren Wills presenting for you the London Beat. Chat and arts all coming to you live from London. London Beat. I'm Lily Steiner and I would love you to become a member of J-Air. Love that you're listening, but join up and encourage your friends to join too. It's only $54 a year and it helps us keep the station on the air. You can join on our website, www.j-air.com.au. You are listening to J-Air, 88FM. You are tuned into you the Habo radio station everyone loves. J-A-T-H-F-M. On air 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And online at j-air.com.au. Greetings, greetings, dear listeners. Brave, challenged, dear listeners. And depending upon where you are in the world, very sodden or sizzled. Sizzled nicely, dear listeners. Uh, Again, depending on where you are in the world. Or perhaps grain-free. Or perhaps if you are in Melbourne, perhaps Commonwealth Games soon no more to be, dear listeners. This is Warren Wills coming with this week's edition of The London Beat on J-Air 88 FM. Here we are. Live to tell the tale, which is remarkable in itself. Yes, this is the London Beat calling out a huge thank you to J.B. Jordan Brown in Gillingham in Kent, which is not sizzling in the same way it may well be shortly compared to Greece, Spain, Italy and other particular places. But uh, And not as sodden as certain places uh, around the world, but nonetheless doing the heavy lifting and the the similarly glowing and admirable musculature he displays over there in Gillingham in Kent. A huge call out in New Zealand to uh, Devonport, Auckland, to longtime friend and longtime no see, Mr. Man, formerly known as Richard Felix, now Mr. De Richard Leggett. Uh, best known, apparently, did anyone see Perfume? With the great and late and sadly Mr. Alan Rickman and Mr. Dustin Hoffman. 
perfume based on the novel was certainly quite something. And indeed, uh, Felix played the magistrate in that. Came over last week. Nice to see. Catch up after 25, 30, 60, 70 years. God knows. Huge call out to J.F. John Farndon. A man doing remarkable work, and indeed we will be having an interview with great John tonight. He has been doing so much incredible work with regard to the arts in Belarus, in Ukraine and Bangladesh, would you believe? be great to get some of his insights. You'll be hearing a little bit later on in the show. A huge call out to a friend of the show, Mr. Adrian Silas, who is over there. I was going to say in Essex, but this man travels so profusely, intensely, and so prolifically, I actually doubt whether, in fact, he will be currently in uh, Essex. Nonetheless, it's a time to consider women. Yes! Um, Three incredible women who were trailblazers in every sense of the word, right across the board from music. I'm talking about Farewell Tina Turner, an absolute trailblazer. Uh, Not just in music, but what she offered women in terms of inspiration, given the domestic abuse that she endured for years and years. The late, great, sadly missed Glenda Jackson, an extraordinary actress who turned her skills and her handiwork to the Labour Party. Uh, a woman of integrity, a woman of profound talent, uh, sadly missed. Raquel Welsh, um, somewhat of a, uh, gosh, a pin-up woman, I suppose you could say in the same way as Xaviera Holland, a great friend of the show, and Pamela Anderson were. Raquel Welsh in her day was certainly, I suppose, the woman most men would like to see, certainly hanging on their wall, if not in other places. But the three of them have gone, and it's an interesting time for women. Why? Well, the women's ashes currently going on in England, between Australia and England. Yes, I'm mindful that men's ashes are on, and of course it's an incredible series and it gets a lot of attention. But so should the women's, and in fact I'm minded that as the show goes out, the World Cup, uh, hosted by New Zealand and Australia, has indeed begun. The women's uh, World Cup, and Australia has a very strong showing. Given that the great Chelsea forward, Australia's star, Captain Sam Carr, He's in fact at the helm, and fantastic to see the protest made by the entire women's team saying um, they do the same work as the men. They will no doubt draw a huge following for such a great international event. They get only one quarter of the money that the men do. Uh, please address. Yes, in the meanwhile, the change of the guard. I see that uh, Carlos Alcaraz, an incredible 20-year-old talented genius uh, tennis player destined to be um, multi-awarded, multi-grand slam winning, uh, managed to topple the invincible one, the great arrogant sulky Serb himself uh, Novak Djokovic at centre court on Wimbledon. Wow, it really did feel like the changing of the guard on that one. Um, and there, there is Victoria Premier Daniel Andrews. And let's face it, Melbourne icon is known across the globe, really, for the Australian Open in the tennis, for the MCG, for the cricket, for Formula One Grand Prix, for the AFL. Uh, and there he was, uh, happy to help out when he was approached to host last year the Commonwealth Games, but cancelled today, saying not at any price. Organisers who originally estimated the event, hosted across cities including Geelong, Bendigo and Ballarat, will cost $2.6 billion Australian dollars, and the government said it had uh, mushroomed to, into the regions of $7 billion. It's cancelled. Bad luck. All off. Never mind. Nothing to see here. Um, Edinburgh Festival is almost upon us, in my opinion. The greatest arts festival in the world. Edinburgh City normally... A cosy, sleepy, picturesque, nonetheless, jewel in the crowns of Scotland and the UK. 
Uh, population 400,000 ordinarily during August, it balloons to 2 million. And my God, do you know it's on? Every nook and cranny from dawn till dusk, there is a show on, a stand-up comic uh, the Jazz Festival is on, the Fringe Festival, the Main Festival, the Book Festival, the Film Festival. It is fantastic. It's the only town I've been into that smells like a brewery. You can smell the hops, which smells a bit like uh, Vegemite, from anywhere. The, it, the entire landscape is dominated by the hill where Edinburgh Castle sits aloft and is famous for the military tattoo. Having done about 26 consecutive uh, Edinburgh festivals on the bounce, I've got plenty to say about it. More about that later did want to flag something up because a film opens this week and, yes, there's always a debate. What are the most important events in human history? And it's something I may well be discussing uh, with the great John Farnden. Now, what are the most important events in human history? Okay, well, you could argue Pilates, Pilate's decision, Pilates, Pilate's decision to crucify Christ. That was a biggie. Uh, Hitler, uh, the Second World War, Eichmann and the Final Solution. That was a biggie. Uh, Sir Timothy John Berners-Lee. O-M-K-B-E-F-R-S-F-R-S-A, my God. Born 8th of June 1955. Uh, best known as the inventor of the World Wide Web. That's a biggie. Uh, he offered it to the world free. Didn't want any royalties for it. Someone who I think, uh, talk about human history, Carl Jurassi. Ever heard of him? An eminent chemist, Austrian. 63 years ago, synthesized a hormone that changed the world by creating the key ingredient of the oral contraceptive known as the pill. There you go. Talk about an impact on world populations. Died um, about five years ago. Joseph Lister, the man accredited uh, in terms of pathology and uh, surgery, uh, preventative medicine of uh, antiseptic. Um, how many lives have he saved? Uh, He's worked with uh, infection and bacteriology. Having said that, how many people, of course, still today um, sadly pass away in hospital because they get infections for this very reason? Anyway, uh, these are all big stories. Um, and I haven't even got to uh, uh, Megan Markle going on the Opera Winfrey show. I joke, our Spurs having a new coach, Australian Angie Postacoglu. Come out to it. No. Uh, one thing which I think is a massive massive thing in human history. You think of human history and you think where things happen. Yeah? Where do they happen? How do they happen? Even huge things like um, Pilate's uh, crucifixion of Christ, not Pilates, uh, or Hitler and the Second World War, or Stalin. They are huge things. But do you know something that's even bigger, I think? Um, this, where the James Webb Space Telescope is now operating a million miles from Earth, taking pictures from five billion years ago, um, and able to operate one degree above absolute zero, sorry, six degrees above absolute zero, which is minus 267 degrees centigrade. How extraordinary, linking us to the universe. I mean, however, there's one other event, and this is the reason I'm saying this, because a film opens worldwide this week and really deals with the work of one Albert Einstein and one Oppenheimer. And it is, I feel like, dealing with it, rather than the macro that the James uh, Webb Telescope deals with, dealing with the micro, and that is the small substance, the matter of all life of the universe, atoms, splitting the atoms, uh, creating nuclear weapons. And the results 
uh, <coughs> the dropping of two bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and where that takes us. And what, I mean, that is a massive, massive event in human history, is it not? Um, the creation and development of an understanding nuclear science, nuclear physics, and ultimately the purpose uh, is to make us all a better place and with our understanding or to kill in the Wongo humanity, potentially. Uh, anyway, the film opens, we will discuss. It's something I do want to discuss with Oppenheimer, uh, with Mr. John Farnes, and it's uh, the opening of the film Oppenheimer. And again, get his opinion on contributions or events that have taken place in human history that are massive, that have changed human history. We will discuss. Nonetheless, let's kick it off. So much to get through this week. Can you believe what is going on in the world? Can you possibly believe it? But there we are. There we are. Oh, I noticed that Ben Kingsley, Dali Land. Now, that's interesting because of, um, yes, more connections with Xavier Holder, finally, would you believe? Yes. And Albert Van Damme. We are got Charles Manson, one of his disciples, released after 50 years. Listen, that was a big thing, but uh, on a small scale, but still a big thing, and it's to do with cults. Uh, and arguably there is no bigger leader, cult leader, than Charles Manson, or possibly someone who still um, has aspirations to return to the White House. Did I say that? Cult leader? Goodness me. Let's pause for some music. You are, of course. Oh, and on a brighter note, very dear friend of the show, Sarah J. Skeets, has assured me that she will be here on November the 21st, singing alongside Robbie Williams, and yours truly, good friend, will be down there to review it. So that's on a much brighter light than those. Okay, let's get on with the show. Let's pause for some music. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of The London Beat.
And a huge warm welcome back to all of our listeners for this week's edition of the London Beat. And I am delighted uh, to present to our listeners all the way from not the super sizzle of Europe, but uh, who knows, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, but from sunny London, John Farns. And welcome back to London Beat, John. Hello there. Welcome back. Now, you have been um, one busy boy since we last spoke, and um, certainly there's a, a number of activities that you're doing with human rights issues. Um, now, do you want to just tell us briefly, I know that you've been very active on the uh, Belarus front. What's been happening over there, John? Yes, I mean, I've been active on two main major fronts, which are both in Ukraine in terms of translating Ukrainian plays for and getting her across the world, but also recently um, with Belarus, because Belarus has been forgotten, and the problems in Belarus have been an understandably sidelined by what's been the tragedy before in Ukraine. But of course, there is a tragedy in Belarus, um, and it's quite um, pointed in relation to Ukraine, because, of course, of course, Putin is using Lukashenko as a major pawn to um, prop up his war against Ukraine. Um, and the Belarusian people are suffering for it. Um, and basically, the level of brutality, has, with, although it's gone out of a new level of brutality in, in Belarus, has gone up dramatically in the last three years since the, the, the election protests. And now the citizens, citizens of Belarus are really frightened. And I have a friend is an artist won't reveal her name in, on artworks because she thinks that if she does she's going to be in prison that that's a, a real threat so um a week ago um we organized an event in london to to get to raise funds for um the families of political and prisoners in in belarus but also right to refocus attention and draw attention to it and give some suckers to the people in the Belarusian exiles here who are feeling like they're the forgotten people of the world. Well, certainly, John, you are um, spitting distance in London from Belarus, but for the uh, good residents of Melbourne and our listeners of London Beat, who... I mean, for a lot of them, uh, Minsk, um, Belarus seems like another planet. Um, just do you want to say just a little bit, am I right in thinking when the Soviet Union collapsed and there was this great spirit of hope, Belarus was never really gifted with a great spirit of hope. Is that true? That's, that's true. It's the one country that it, it was in theory um, given independence along with all the other Soviet states. But... Um, it remained firmly in the hands of the Putin puppet, um, sometimes called the last, the last dictator of Europe, actually um, Lukashenko. I mean, as it happens, Putin is by, by far the greatest dictator, but for a long time, Lukashenko was regarded as the one um, dictator left after all the others in Eastern Europe vanished. Um, but there seemed hope for Belarus, by the way, is, a, is, is quite a small country. It's on, um, in the, the northeast of Europe, between Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia and Poland. It borders Poland and Russia. Um, and it's a small country that's torn between the two. But, interestingly, three, three years ago, um, 
they they had an election and the the popular dissent against Lukashenko was such that they were convinced that they had won the election. I mean, all the signs are that they had won the election convincingly. But at that point, that's when Lukashenko, with the backing of Putin, turned back the tide and, um, with a series of brutal put-downs, stopped the protests. And now it's gone, gone more extreme and there is effectively, there is no protest because essentially protests would be, protesters would be in huge danger. And now, of course, we have, it's, it's the, the refuge in inverted commas for um, the Wagner Group, um, the, the, the Russian. That's right. Though, John, John, I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you something here. Yeah. What, what you're describing, where there's an election and the results are dubious, so the military steps in, which happened not so long ago when the um, the, um, is, the Muslim Brotherhood won uh, an elect, a fair election in Egypt, and subsequently the military stepped in. And I seem to remember Aung San Suu Kyi fairly won a, an election in Myanmar, and the military stepped in. It's sort of um, becoming the playbook rather sadly in so many places of the world that the military just marches in, despite um, you know claiming to have fair elections. How, do, how does one, for, for yourself, and I know you've um, sort of uh, pinned your flag to um, your master many a cause here, given there are so many um, issues, human rights violations in the world, how have you decided to uh, take up the mantle of the Belarus art community? Um, quite simple. One, because of the proximity, it's not far away. And two, because... Um, I was, I was introduced to, about five years ago, I edited the poems of a Belarusian poet, Hannah Komar, um, who was the rising young star of um, Belarusian poetry. And she was involved in the protest and then and was in prison. Um, and she, she was, when she was released from prison, she became, it became impossible for her to write poetry or protest anymore. And so she had to leave the country and so um, there is a, a, a personal reason because obviously this is in support of, of Hannah and her and, her, and the event I was talking about um, so there was a personal connection here basically but it's not just the personal connection as I said it's the proximity um, and but Belarus and Ukraine are parts, parts of the same point, and they're in Europe. So, absolutely, we have a connect, connection with European events. But of course, um, one of the interesting things is that at the event we had uh, a poet from from Egypt who'd been in prison for his part in those protests, basically right. for five years, and he's now in exile. So there is beginning to be a recognition of the common purpose between these opposition movements. Absolutely. In an idealistic world, when one is young, one likes to think that the reason countries have armies uh, is to defend them from foreign attacks rather than to, uh, there to persecute their own citizens. But we're going to pause for some music. We're going to come right back and continue our conversation with John Fanden. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of The London Beat.
And a huge warm welcome back to all of our listeners for this week's edition of The London Beat. And I'm thrilled to say our next guest uh, will be gracing the ivories and the keys at Turek Synagogue on August the 1st. He is a world-renowned exponent of Gershwin, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Mr. Simon Tedeschi. Simon, welcome to the show. Hi, Warren. Lovely to speak to you. Now, you've got one hell of a program coming up in Melbourne in a couple of weeks. Do you want to share a little bit about the program with us, please? Yeah, sure. This is a, um, ostensibly Gershwin's World. It's Gershwin and Me is the name of right. the program. And it's uh, Gershwin is a composer who's played a big part in my life. And uh, it's uh, um, wonderful to be performing at a Turak Synagogue, a place I've actually never been before, but which I'm told is an extraordinary venue. It is a beautiful building, absolutely. <clears throat> yes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, as I mentioned, Gershwin... Yeah, has played a big part in my life. Um, quite inadvertently, I never actually sought to uh, um, play so much Gershwin, um, but I, I love Gershwin's music, obviously, and uh, Gershwin really represents uh, so much of, you know, the, the 20th century uh, or the early 20th century for me. So I, I, uh, I uh, have a very close connection with it, and um, I think it, it uh, brings together many different things that I love about classical music. Well, absolutely. And I suppose in the same way, um, Americana, one thinks, I suppose, of uh, whether it be uh, Aaron Copeland or Bernstein or Gershwin. It's quite funny when we think of Americana, they all seem to be Jewish composers, um, which is yeah, rather coincidence. But for a young man who was growing up in Sydney, so tell us a little bit, <clears throat> was it something like Porgy and Bess that turned you on to Gershwin or Rhapsody in Blue? How did your love affair evolve? <clears throat> um, I uh, first performed Rhapsody in Blue. That's how it happened with... Uh uh, I think it was even it was Tommy Tico at the Ethnic Business Awards, and I believe the uh, the performance is on YouTube. I'm very very young there. Right. Thankfully, I play it better than now. Uh, well, no, I play it better now than then, rather. And uh, the uh, um, the the uh, it was the strangest piece I'd ever heard. Um, I had never heard anything quite like it, and uh, it uh, yeah, it was like a completely different language. And and ever since then. Um, I think I've played Rhapsody in Blue more times than anyone on the globe, probably. And at least I, uh, I challenge anyone to have played it more times than me. <laughs> and uh, the, the wonderful thing about the piece is it, it's uh, it's different every time. It's it's completely unpredictable. It's like uh, it's like dealing with a separate human being. I mean, I don't know whether you're a Woody Allen fan <clears throat> as I am, but I can remember. I can't remember. It might well have been Manhattan. And as soon as the opening few bars of Rhapsody in Blue begin, you kind of think America, New York, Manhattan. It yeah, seems, it seems to encapsulate and embody New York, doesn't it? It really does. And as you said, how ironic, because, I mean, all of these, you know, Irving Berlin, born in Russia, Gershwin, son of Russians, um, and, uh, you know, New York really is, the, is a place where everyone is there for something and in different respects from elsewhere even if you're from new york there's that feeling of you know being a foreigner i suppose and uh, that's that's what's so special about it absolutely well uh, simon you're you're going to be joining us in melbourne here on august the 1st and it is a tuesday night it's a turak synagogue i'm presuming it's a solo performance that you're doing i am actually joined for a few songs by matt jodrell an amazing uh, trumpeter melbourne based incredible um so that's going to be wonderful but apart from that it's me uh and uh, the audience and a piano 
Now, without giving too much away, because I know you are doing a couple of other composers, but just if you could hit, what other Gershwin gems can we expect to hear on the evening? Ah, uh, well, you'll certainly hear Rapstein Blue. Right. You'll hear um, the three preludes. You'll hear some original songs. Um, and you'll hear my own arrangements of uh, things like I Got Rhythm. So it'll be, you know, a whole range of things. But it will also be Gershwin's world. Um, it will be the, the music that inspired Gershwin and um, and music that uh, Gershwin inspired. So it will be uh, really a, a bit of a journey across the first decades of the 20th century. Now, you might know this better than me, and I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not. Is it true that Igor Stravinsky um, was approached by Gershwin, who wanted composition lessons with him, asked him how much he earned, and said it should be me studying with you? <laughs> You're almost right. It's Maurice Ravel, though. Okay. Um, it's... Uh, but uh, close enough. But yeah, they were all alive at the same time, which is extraordinary when you think about it. And uh, Ravel and Gershwin had this amazing relationship because, you know, you can hear in Ravel's music, like in his violin sonata and his piano concerto, right. all of these nods to uh, to Gershwin. And uh, Gershwin was deeply indebted also to, to French classical music. Right. Um, but, so uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing relationship there. Everyone's talking to everyone else. Well, Simon, we certainly look forward to it and we wish you every success for the rest of the year. And uh, for all of our listeners, make sure you get your tickets, get down there, Turak Synagogue on August the 3rd. Be well, Simon, thank you so thank much you, for joining Warren. London Beat. We're going to pause for some music. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of The London Beat. La pluie est-elle venue pour me rappeler de ma douleur? Je savais qu'elle voulait dire que je ne te tiendrai plus jamais dans mes bras. Le ciel était gris, sachant que tu étais Thank you. 
thought about you And that is why the teardrops fell Just like the rain Et les larmes ont coulé Comme la And a warm welcome back to all of our listeners for this week's edition of The London Beat. Coming to you from chilly Melbourne, far from the uh, summer sizzle of Europe that is going on at the moment. I am thrilled to say that our next guest is a fabulous architect um, who I had the great pleasure of getting involved with um, in a building, uh, Arcadia, that she is involved with uh, in North Melbourne. Welcome to the show, the fabulous Miss Irene Jarvis. Welcome to the show, Irene. Well, thank you, Warren, and thank you for inviting me to speak on your show. Well, having just had the esteemed and prolific John Fandon from London talking all about his involvement with the Belarus arts and Ukrainian arts, it is nice to hear from a Melbourne architect. Now, we received some rather astonishing news today, and that is that Melbourne that is known throughout the world for the Australian Open in tennis, the Formula One and Grand Prix, the AFL, for holding such fantastic cultural and sporting events, uh, has actually now got into the news for perhaps the wrong reason, that is for the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games. So, first of all, I, I know, tell us a little bit about the, I think it was a cricket ground or something, best you say, that you're involved with putting together a project that was, uh, that was going to be part of the Commonwealth Games. Yes, I, I have been involved in the design and documentation of an indoor cricket facility that was earmarked for the Commonwealth Games. And uh, today I also heard um, that the Commonwealth Games are, will probably not um, continue. So I thought about um, the impact that would have on the building. Now, we have started construction and the building will be built and it will be offered to the community so it will be a, a fabulous facility that will still stay in use and you know deliver um a, a, i guess a facility for the community to enjoy for many many years to come and i guess it's always there if the commonwealth games ever did surface again or any other games now unless i'm being really stupid um First of all, I wasn't even aware that cricket was a sport that was even played in the Commonwealth Games. And secondly, there can't be an awful lot of uh, indoor cricket grounds uh, where matches are played with an audience that even exist in the world, are there? No, there aren't. There, there are three that I know of. And I think um, there's a state-of-the-arts one in uh, uh, close to Melbourne, and this one was a little bit further out, and, and this was sort of drawing on some of the learnings from the one that is, you know, state-of-the-arts. Now, for, for someone... Uh, no, there aren't many. Now, I'm guessing you're not an avid follower of cricket. Um, you might be aware that both the men's and women's Ashes are currently being played in England, Australia versus England. I don't know if, whether you're aware of that or not. Look, I... I I was aware that there was a little bit of controversy of a particular rule that um, <laughs> that, 
that apparently didn't. I mean, we played by the rules. Um, it, it is a rule, and the British Prime Minister thought it wasn't good sportsmanship, and ours thought, well, you know, it's part of the game. So unless they change the rules, you know, I, I think it was perfectly fine. Um, but I know cr cricket is a game played by supposedly gentlemen, and you know, it just wasn't cricket what they did. Well, coming coming from a a conservative party that has played a roulette in the past 12 months uh, from Truss to um, Boris Johnson uh, and so on to um, Theresa May and currently um, uh, to Richie Sunak I far, hardly feel they're in a position to lecture us on uh, good behaviour and propriety and dignity but there we are now uh, next thing I was going to ask you now so obviously as far as you're concerned you still go ahead uh, according to plan and schedule and all the rest of it uh, following through with, with yep with the building of this thing uh, what's the capacity by the way how many people spectators can fit into this ground oh um I'm not sure Warren I maybe a couple of hundred not sure really okay and am I tell me from uh, from what I remember from the dim and distant past um were you also building a basketball stadium yes i was yes i'm building a three-court basketball stadium um with with some amenities um and that's in craigieburn right. um so we are up to steel construction at the moment um and that's going well that's going very well. When you were a young lady dreaming of being a very successful architect, did you ever think uh, when you looked into your crystal ball that it would be a sports construction that would be um, dominating your lifestyle? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. I think um, I, I started off with carports and garages for friends, moved on to residential and ended up working in Hong Kong um, on big sort of supermarkets and uh, multi-complex um, you know facilities around railway stations including designing the Dutch consulate in Shanghai which was a lot of fun Wow congratulations um, it sounds great yeah thank you um, and then you know after four years in Hong Kong I came back to Australia and thought I'll give government a go. And so ever since then, I've been designing facilities for the community. And it has been fantastic. Um, so I've designed, you know, community centres and libraries and theatres and uh, office accommodation for council. Um, and now I seem to end up designing and building sports facilities. And I've just been given another project. Um, it's nine to develop nine and a half hectares. Uh, and it'll consist of five um soccer fields and <laughs> another cricket field so you've, that will you've be been tight for life you're now you're now being put into a pigeon box and compartmentalized for life <laughs> <laughs> wonderful I, you know what i must say that i mean listen congratulations on the work you're doing and it's fabulous to, do, to be doing construction that genuinely involves and engages the community um yeah. it is interesting in my lifetime i can't remember such a thing as a major sporting event like the Australian Open Tennis or the Olympic Games or the World Cup in football <coughs> being cancelled because a, a an elected leader stands up and says, uh, we've gone over budget, so it's off. I can't actually ever remember anything like that ever happening. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Uh, certainly is. Which brings me on to something else. That um, as they're having a, a super sizzle in Europe, as you're probably aware of. Um, yep. And I think as someone uh, who has strong ties to Greece, you probably have a lot of uh, family bitterly complaining about how hot it is over there. Uh, the well, actually, can I, my, my 22-year-old is in Mykonos at the moment. Right. And according to her... Everybody sleeps during the day, surfaces at about nine o'clock and parties until six in the morning to avoid the heat. So Sounds sensible. <laughs> yeah. So they're coping um, by enjoying the evening and the night as opposed to the daytime. Well, it certainly makes sense. Um, there's a fabulous story called The Valley of the Blind, written by H.G. Wells, and it's about a blind community. And uh, they think nothing of the fact, uh, because they obviously can't see, that they work at, um, they work during the night uh, to keep themselves warm, and they sleep in the day uh, when it's warmer, and uh, which seems quite natural and normal. This, this winter, or summer in Europe, uh, we are talking about on the show this week, the fact that um, suddenly we have a whole block of biopics and they're big biopics big historical chunky weighty stuff want to do with nuclear physics who would have thought we'd have a blockbuster about some nuclear physicists now how much uh, how much interest can we have in uh, people like einstein and oppenheimer the next one is uh with a french uh, french dictatorial general napoleon bonaparte and the third is with a wacky surrealist salvador dali played by ben kingsley which is a uh, I find it very interesting, and I'm wondering what your take is on the fact that suddenly, um, uh, given we're into the, the dumbing down, which we obviously are, uh, phase of history with uh, instant um, you know, access to Google and TikTok and information, suddenly we've got three such weighty characters being featured in blockbusters um, during the um, you know, Northern Hemisphere summer. I'm just wondering what your take on that might be. Personally, I think it's wonderful because I don't know how old you are. Um, but I'm a lot older than you, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> but the, these are figures that we were very familiar with. We read about, learnt about, um, in some cases, you know, admired. And now the next generation and the one after that is, um, you know, learning about them. They tend not to read as much so if we can um you know show them stories of characters that you know were alive at some stage and and what they contributed and get um these stories out in you know in a i guess in a theater way sense then it's sort of passing down these stories to you know the following generations um so you know what is it reality is better than fiction um yeah so I, i'm really excited to uh to to see these things on on the screen well i have my own theory about it and i think obviously producers are interested in blowing things up action violence and sex and going yeah. through the last 18 months where we've had plenty of all of the above but without any decent stories. And I'm thinking of things like the franchise of The Fast and the Furious, where lots of people are killed, lots of things are blown up. But basically, you sit there and there's no story. And all of a sudden, they must have thought, do you know what? Oppenheimer and Napoleon, hey, 
lots of things were blown up, lots of people were killed, there was lots of sex, but there's some really good stories to be told here. And you think that had such a profound influence on history, and as did Dali as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, the fact that we've got some great stories to go with the, uh, the usual presentation of things being blown up, uh, I think is great. Great, great, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, you know, um, there's a lot of money now, you know, with Netflix, etc., and subscriptions, so they can invest and put together, you know, amazing presentations um, and imagery in these in these films. So I know with, um, you know, films like Fast and Furious, etc., you're entertained, but, but they kind of leave you a little bit empty at the, you know, at, at the end. It's not something that you um, reflect on and you, th you think, well, that was a really good moment, you know, I, I thought of I thought of an issue or, um, you know, I'll take that with me. So it's it's good to have something with a lot more substance being shown to us. Well, absolutely. And I think currently, given I suppose everyone is hearing, whatever age you are, everyone is hearing uh, about all this uh, nuclear blackmail going on in, in Europe with the, um, the Ukraine invasion, uh, that uh, it will, I think it will really focus people's minds to... Uh, to think about how brilliant men like Einstein and Oppenheimer, there they are working away to make the world a better place, and off the back, back of their work comes the most destructive uh, and dangerous, uh, I suppose, um, weapon ever created by humankind. I think that'll get people talking and thinking. But um, listen, Irene, I've got to say, um, we will certainly follow events of the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games with great interest. And thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And wish you every success going forward um, with your future life as a sporting architect. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Warren. <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot of fun, and I'm learning a lot as well. Okay. We're going to pause for some music that you've been listening to, Irene Jarvis. And this, of course, is The London Beat. all good things must come to an end and this week's edition of the London Bees of course is no exception what a absolute cavalcade of talent uh, all the way from London we had the expertise and such insightful views of Mr John Founder who really is uh, just doing the most extraordinary work um, at a humanitarian at a humanist level some would say we should all be doing this kind of thing why does it stand out you know does it not 
strike people as being obvious that this work should be done for the planet, etc., and for um, and for people who are less fortunate than themselves. A huge call out of thanks to Irene Jarvis, architect extraordinaire, who uh, is currently, through no fault of her own, involved in a very hot potato, designing as architect uh, venues for the now defunct, the now cancelled Commonwealth Games, as uh, Dan Andrews, the, um, the um, rather controversial and popular, given the uh, landslide uh, results of the last election, Premier of Victoria has decided in all of his wisdom to scrap the Commonwealth Games because they're too expensive. And a huge thank you also to Mr Simon Tedesco, pianist extraordinaire, who is gracing us here at Turak Synagogue, which is an extraordinary building, on Tuesday, August 1st, with uh, Gershwin and me. And, of course, um, at, the, um, at the top, at the helm, the apex of the concert will, of course, be the most incredible piece, which we discuss. It really does. You hear it. It really just somehow sums up New York immediately. And that, of course, is Rhapsody in Blue, Simon Tedescu. So thanks to all of our visitors. We have a fantastic show for you next week. Um, it's an absolute um, festival, a fiesta of sport going on. As I'm actually sending this tonight, the Matildas... Uh, in Sydney, 80,000 people are expected to launch their campaign with the um, Women's World Cup in the football. The Open, and there is, you just say the Open, you know what we're talking about. It's the golf from Liverpool, the Royal uh, British Open Golf, kicks off today. And, of course, the Ashes, which has been just such an exciting series, uh, is also into a second and third day. By the time you get this, all of that will have changed dramatically. But there we are. Uh, thank you so much for the pleasure of your company this week. This is Warren Wills, 88FMJ Air, wishing you all the very best from the London Beat. London Beat.
תגידי לי, אני כבר לא רוצה לישון לבד, שום לבד, תיקח אותי מצד לצד, צד לצד, בואי אליי. J-Air is committed to diversity and inclusiveness for the Jewish and broader community. J-Air.com.au Hi, this is Mark Kopolov with a reminder that you can support J-Air by joining as a member at J-Air.com.au Your membership fee of $54 a year will help J-Air maintain its commitment of bringing your community to you. Do you like what you hear? Send us a text with your suggestions or requests on 0404-556988. Hi, this is Menasha Kaltman reminding you to tune in to our program, Hot Kugels. Please tune in to our program, Hot Kugels, every Thursday at 3.05 p.m. on J-Air. 88FM or streaming live at j-air.com.au Find us on Facebook, just head